0: Turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter twelve. Did you all have a a good Valentine's Day today? Yeah, cards and chocolates and flowers. Kev, have you're smiling and uh, I got I got I got a card and candy and I got the I got breakfast in bed. I had to sleep at the table, but I got. Old, old joke. Um, Genesis chapter 12. This fits in with what Joel was talking about quite a bit. The Lord came to a, a guy named Abram. We call him Abraham because uh, he changed. Lord changed his name later. And uh, he said, get out of your country. Get away from your family and, and from your father's house to the land that I will show you and and when you read Hebrews chapter 11 about this section of scripture, Abraham had no idea where he was going. It was a complete walk by faith. He did this by obedience. It wasn't easy. Many of us had, have had to do this. Many of us have left our everything that was familiar, even, even the, the, the faith that we're raised in and come into this thing called the baptism of the Spirit. It's, it's not easy, uh, but the Lord is looking, and the Lord was leading uh, Abram to do this. He said, um, I'll make you a great nation. Verse 2 says, I will bless you. I will bless you. And uh, I'll make your name great. And he says, and then you shall be a blessing. And that combination, I will bless you and you shall be a blessing, became the kind of the verse of my heart. I remember being so impacted by that that we had this little country town or little village in upstate New York and, and I, I got out my paint kit and I 12 inch letters on the wall of the little sanctuary I wrote I will bless you and you will be a blessing just to get it into our hearts so we can all see it that that that's what it's all about, whether it's in business or whether it's your church or whether it's you raised in your family, uh, whatever it is, that the whole idea is to draw from God's blessing and to extend that everywhere we go. And then he says, I will bless you. I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse those uh, who curses you. Uh, That means to despise or to disesteem, to reject, uh, to to, um, uh, speak against. It's a beautiful thing. You can just leave that with the Lord. You don't have to uh, fight for your reputation. You don't have to uh, uh, wrangle with people over those kinds of things. Just leave that to the Lord. He says that he'll look after it. And if you take this verse and, and run through Genesis in the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob... Consistently, you'll see where somebody tries to do something to these people, and the Lord steps up on their behalf. Whether it's fighting for wells, as we'll see tonight, or whether it's uh, men, great men, mighty men of Pharaoh, and and a guy named Abimelech is trying to steal Abraham's wife, and then later Isaac's wife. And the Lord visits them in a dream and reproves them and said, Don't touch this man's wife. He's a prophet. And um, the Lord defended him. The Lord looked after him. This promise is like being given the greatest credit card you can ever possibly be given, not just financially, not just for business, but but protection and provision and guidance. It's a profound study, Uh, this blessing this blessing was so powerful that it acted like an inheritance. It acted like something that could be conveyed from one family, one generation to the next. They fought over it. They, they went back and forth over it. This blessing is everything. So uh, the most amazing thing that I can tell you tonight about this blessing is when you go to Galatians chapter 3, there's numerous verses. There's half a dozen verses in Galatians chapter three that talks about this blessing becoming an an inheritance for us who believe that if we have faith in Jesus, this blessing that is given to Abraham is transferred to you. It's transferred to me. That I become an heir of this promise. So I can walk through life. I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to uh, beg, borrow, or steal. I don't have to connive. I don't have to... Be a weasel in business. I don't have to do. I don't have to do stuff under the table. I don't have to uh, try to make a way for myself. The blessing does that. The blessing itself does that, and we see that in the life of Abraham. And I thought tonight we could go into the life of Isaac a little bit. So if you go with me to Genesis chapter 26, everything in between is Abraham's story. You really should get in it. You should read it meditate on it, go deep into it. He's the father of faith. If you're going to get to know faith at all, walking by faith, you have to get to know Abraham. Uh, I avoided him for a long time. I just thought he was some kind of old sheik in the desert. I didn't really relate to him. And when the Lord started showing me about faith, I, I, I marveled at what this guy walked out, what he did. So if you go to um, Genesis 26... And we see where there's a transference of this inheritance, this blessing. Verse 26 says that there is a famine in the land. That's an economic crisis. It's an agricultural economy. And when they, nothing grows, everything goes, everything goes bust. And um, this is not the same famine that was in the, the time of Abraham. He hit that as soon as he got blessed as well. And um, so Isaac got in line Uh, with everyone else to go down into Egypt. And the Lord called him out of line, verse 2, and he appeared to him, and he says, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land of which I shall tell you. The same thing he said to Abraham. Dwell in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give these lands, and I will perform the oaths that I swore to Abraham your father. So that's the conveyance. I will bless you. I will be with you, and I'll bless you. This is a powerful, powerful promise. And so if you can imagine, everyone's lining up to go down into Egypt because of this um, famine that just, everything is barren, nothing grows. uh, And you stay. You're the only one that stays. And you stay there. And uh, he's got a promise now that, Not only only is it for him in the immediate, but he's talking about descendants. You're going to have, this is a hope-filled concept that he's given him. So so Isaac, he's young. He didn't know the Lord. His dad knew the Lord, but he didn't really know the Lord. In fact, very few people knew the Lord during this period of time. But the Lord manifested himself to him and uh, introduced himself to him. Gave him this powerful, powerful promise. Verse 4 is, I'll make your descendants multiply like the stars of heaven. I'll give your descendants all these lands. And in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And he's talking about Jesus. That was the same promise that he gave Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. And uh, so Isaac, he, he stayed put. He dwelt there. And uh, he had the same kind of issue that Abraham, you know, is he's, they see uh, his, his wife, he says, she's my sister, and uh, uh, they, he was afraid that they would kill him because of Rebekah, and the Lord had to intervene again and help him to understand this, and Abimelech, verse 11 says, uh, don't touch this man, don't touch his wife, uh, you will be surely put to death. And uh, so he had a crisis of faith right away. Uh, this promise, it's, it's kind of an odd thing. And I see this happen. It throws people off. They'll get a prophetic word. And then the next week, the bottom will fall out on, their word, on on their life. And they'll say, well, what's this? I get this word from God, and now I'm in trouble. Well, that's how this whole life of faith works. And he... Happened to Abraham, happened to Isaac. Right away, he's going to need to draw on this promise. Right away, he needs to trust the Lord. He needs to have faith in the Lord. Look at verse 12. It says, Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. Can you imagine the moment where he decided to sow in the land? Imagine, you know, they have these big grain bins, big, kind of like a, a uh, uh, woven basket, large woven basket. I've seen them different times in overseas. And just filled with the grain. And you put your hand in it and it runs through your finger and you put your hand through it and you say, I can eat this and live for months or I can throw it in infertile ground. I can eat it or I can throw it in the ground And believes that God will bless me. What a moment of faith that must have been! And he decided, rather than eat it, he would sow it. Put it in his bag around his shoulder. Maybe some of his servants did the same thing, and they went out. And that broadcasting of of faith, every. Every time he did it, it was faith. Faith that says, God said, stay in the land and I will be with you. Stay in the land and I will bless you. What a moment. And you can do that when you're pregnant, when you're full of the sense, uh, expectation. You're full of a sense of God's blessing. You can do crazy acts of faith like that that just look counterintuitive. It just looks wrong somehow. There's nothing growing and you're sowing into this infertile soil God blessed them and every one of those seeds produced a hundredfold amazing powerful powerful example and and the Lord will require that of us if we're going to walk in this life of faith um, uh, it's an amazing story um, let's continue with this uh, it's not just an economic, economic crisis. If you go down to chapter 26, verse 18 and 19, you see where Abraham had dug all these wells. He had servants dig these wells, and they had gotten filled in. His enemies came along and tried to fill them in, and they're redigging these wells. And there's some men who say, No, every time they dig a well and it produces water, they say, That's our well. And the most amazing thing about Isaac is. is you don't have to fight. You don't have to strive. You don't have to strangle the person. You don't have to do it out of your own flesh. He could just say, okay, all right, you've claimed that well. We'll move on. And they go and they move on and they redig another well and they come and they say, this is our well. And he, again, he doesn't contend. He's not fighting. He, no lawsuits, no fists cuffs. And next thing you know, the same thing happens again. And he's able to do that because he's got this sense. It doesn't matter what people do. It doesn't matter how they treat you. It doesn't matter how unjust it looks. God's with you. God will bless you. And he could just keep doing it. He backed away every time. He can rest in the Lord. And, of course, uh, he ends up digging wells to produce. And it's an amazing story. The whole chapter, chapter 26, is truly worth uh, reading Verses 28 and 29, Abimelech sits down with them, and he says, I see God's blessing on you. I know God is with you. I can see it. It's obvious to everyone. And I see that in business. I see that uh, among us. Stop and think. Here we've hit this COVID thing where they shut everything down, this crazy COVID time. I can't think of a single business person in our community here, in our church that hasn't prospered every one of them running to catch up running to get jobs done we had a couple months there where it it looked like uh uh, looked like it wasn't going to be a good year but i remember saying i remember thinking and encouraging people watch and see if this doesn't turn out to be a bumper crop watch and watch and see if by the end of the year you have more this year than you had last year even though we had those two months where we couldn't work uh Amazing thing, because what we can say is we walk by faith, we trust in Jesus, and we have this inheritance that has come down through Jesus to us, like a credit card, that allows us to face any crisis, allows us to go through anything at all. Let's go into this next section of the story. It picks up in, in uh, Genesis uh, Well, where I like to start the story is in Genesis chapter 32. Let's go a little further into it, and then we'll come back. We'll work our way backwards. This is the story of Jacob. And we just heard Sylvia talking about Jacob a little bit. I already had written down that I, I need to teach here the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I had made the, a note to myself, so I'm trying to be true to what I felt, regardless of what she shared just recently. Look at G- Genesis 32 verse 10. I think it's a major key to the story. He's praying, and he's saying, "I'm not worthy of the least of all your mercies." And of all the truth, what you've shown your servant, that, he gave him revelation upon revelation. Talk about riches. Wow. He said, for I crossed over this Jordan with my staff. And now I have two companies. Uh, now, if we just take a little photograph of this verse. When he fled... From the face of his brother, his brother, uh, Esau, said, if I see you again, if I get my hands on you, I will kill you. That's the words he's hearing because he deceived him. He, de- he dece- deceived him from his the blessing, the birthright, the inheritance. Uh, he deceived his dad. He lied to his dad, a bold-faced lie, with the help of his mother, like we heard this past week. and And, I mean, really... Uh, complete lie, uh, pretending to be his brother. And so his brother is about to kill him. He flees. He leaves in a hurry. And his mom says, you know, go go in this direction, and he leaves. And, and if you can picture, you're standing with your staff. You got a stick. You got a shepherd's stick. And that's about it. We know he had a little oil that he poured on a rock when God visited him, but he really doesn't have anything other than this stick. That's how he saw it. He said, I I crossed over this thing. This is 20 years before. I crossed over this this river with a stick in my hand. And God blessed him. God blessed him from every angle. God blessed him in every way he could be blessed. And, And now he's coming back with vast herds, of sheep and goats, camels and donkeys and, 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 and servants, and meds, men's servants, women's servants. He's got a vast uh, group of people and plus children and wives, and he's coming back, and, and uh, he realizes, I came across this creek with a stick, and I'm coming back to cross the same river 20 years later with such vast quantities of everything. Because of the blessing of the Lord that was on his life, amazing picture for me. We know the story. Um, we heard it this week. Those who were in in the conference that we had here. He's called a deceiver. His name is uh, a deceiver right from the the, the womb. Uh, I translate his name as as Jacob, meaning. I'll do anything to get ahead. That's how I see his name. And when God changed his name, and he often does that because it it signifies a change of heart, a change of person, change of character. And then he changes his name to Israel, which means prince. But it has to do with one having authority with God. And I love that. That moves me. That, that, That stirs my heart. Where you do anything to get ahead, all in your own conniving, as far as you can figure out that you do anything to try to get ahead, to a place where you say, I have authority with God. All I need to do is go to Him. All I need to do is ask Him. All I need to do is, is let Him lead and guide and provide. I have authority with God. I can walk the halls of heaven. I've been doing that in my prayer times these days. Ever since I've been studying the, the book of Revelation, I get off on that vast Sea of Jasper and I stand there and I stand before his throne and I can ask him for whatever I have need, I have need of because I have authority with God and that came through Jesus that came as part of his blessing You know the story of him selling his birthright. I think it's a funny story where the one's coming in from hunting, he's famished. And if you know brothers, I grew up with uh, five other brothers, if you can imagine. We fought, we argued, we, we, we were masters at putting each other down. Uh, all the rivalries of all the years growing up were all close in age. And... Uh, <clears throat> I could see the story. I can see him hunched over a bowl of red stew and the fire is crackling and he's coming in. He's, he's been tracking and hunting and walking. He's exhausted. He's hungry. And he says, give me a bowl of stew. And the, I could see him with the spoon saying, nope. Just like a brother would. Nope. Come on, I'm starving here. Give me a bowl of stew. Nope. He just keeps right on eating. Not even look at him. Eric, you know what I'm talking about. You can see it. He's just stuffing it away. Come on, come on, I'm starving. Nope. And it comes down to this. He says, what will you give me? And he gave him his birthright, the fact that that blessing should have come through him as, as the firstborn. It should have come through him. But something happened. There's something that happens in our hearts that can happen in your heart, can happen in my heart, where because we don't see it in the immediate It's kind of like an idea. It's something out in the future, it's somewhere out in hope. It's somewhere out there. He didn't see it in the real present tense. And that birthright was like for someday. And he was hungry now. I've seen people give up heaven for a relationship. There are people who give up heaven for sex the people who give up heaven for, for temporary advantage because it seems like it's somewhere out there and I'm hungry now, I have needs now. And it was in that whole thing where it was negotiated and he gave him, can you imagine what it would be like eating that bowl of red stew in about three minutes, about, just he woofed it down, probably didn't even taste it. Burped and immediately realized, what did I do? What did I do? I gave away I gave away something that has value. And in Hebrews chapter 11, it says it, or chapter 13, it says he sought it with tears, Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. He sought it with tears. I've seen that, and I've experienced it, the times where I've sinned and immediately wish I hadn't, immediately wish I could take it back, immediately regret that I did that because all of a sudden you realize that it's not an even trade. It's, it, it's just not right. In your that deception of sin in the moment where you're looking for pleasure, all of a sudden you realize it's not worth it. But you realize that after there's something that's worth, something cools down, and all, all of a sudden you recognize that. I can hear him. I can see him going off begging God, please. Please don't let that happen. Let me have this birthright. And God was so offended at how how he disesteemed the promise of God that God said, nope. And no matter what he did, no matter how much his dad wanted to give it to him, he couldn't. It never happened fully. It never happened fully. Although I love the story where now... And Jacob is coming back across the brook, and he's got vast, vast herds of everything. And he starts sending presents to his brother to appease him, to get him ready, because the last thing he heard is, I'm going to kill you. And he sends presents ahead. And when he finally sees his brother's face, he he said, your face reminded me of the face of God. In other words, he saw something of favor. He maybe saw mercy in his eyes. I love the line in that song we sang tonight. He maybe saw mercy in his eyes. And here's what they found out. He found out that his brother said, "You know, I've got plenty of everything. God has blessed me, just like He's blessed you." I don't think either one of them were expecting that. I've seen it where brothers split. I've seen it where churches split. and Then they find out later that God actually blessed them both. There's, there's, there's room for that. And this is a powerful, powerful example of it. God has been with me. God has blessed me, even though it's not the same inheritance that you have. Let's go to chapter 28. It's one of my favorite parts of the story. I wish you would just... Read this story for yourself afresh. Perhaps you've read it years ago, but it's, there's so much life in it. You see where the blessing took place in chapter 28, verse 1. You see the blessing uh, verse 3 and 4. So Jacob gets out in verse 10, he's heading toward distant relatives, came to a certain place at night and the sun started to set and he finds the softest stone for a pillow. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever camped where you didn't really prepare, you really didn't have anything. Boy, I've slept on plywood, I've slept on the backs of cars And as a kid. He finds the softest pillow, and he sets it up under the stars. And he, he couldn't have been expecting this uh, at all. But in the night, God visits him. And God reveals himself to him, and he speaks to him. He says, I'm the God of your dad, and I'm the God of your grandfather. What an amazing moment that must have been. See, you grew up in the church, kind of. He grew up in faith. He heard stories about God. And it doesn't matter how much your dad walked with him, and it doesn't matter how much your grandpa walked with him. You have to know him. You have to have a personal encounter. And this is his moment. And what a peace it must have brought to him when he said, you know, I'm the God of Abraham and Isaac. And he says, I will be with you. Let's read it. Let's actually look at it. Uh, Go with me to uh, verse 13. He says, I'm the God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac. And on the land on which you lie, I will give you and your descendants. That's hope. (laughs) He thought he could be killed at any minute, and God's talking about kids, having kids someday, your descendants. And also, Your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. That's hope. That's amazing. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and in the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's the third time this promise has come down as an inheritance. He's talking about Jesus. Every prophecy should point to Jesus in some way. Behold, I am with you. And will keep you wherever you go. And I'll bring you back to this land. That's hope. For I'll not leave you until I've done which I have spoken to you. And Jacob woke up. He says, surely the Lord is in this place. And I didn't know it. He says, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. The very gate of heaven. He woke up. And he began, verse 19. He prays this first prayer. He calls upon the name of the Lord, and uh, he calls that place Bethel, but he calls on the Lord, and he says, uh, verse 20, if God will be with me and keep me in, in, in this way that I'm going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. Right then, he's born again. Right then, he's, he's committing. He's saying yes to the Lord. Verse uh, 22, he says, "I will give you a tenth of everything I have." Well, he's got a t- he's got a stick at this point in time, but he meant it. He said, uh, it, "There's something about when God s- shows you that He's with you, and He's the possessor of heaven and earth. He owns everything. You got the one who owns everything on your side. Something happens that trips your heart. Grace comes to you, and the." Out of the volition of your own heart, the most natural response is to give back. The natural response is to say, you've blessed me, I, I want to tithe, I want to give back to you. We saw children this morning right down here in the front who were gifts from God being given back to God. It's just a, It's something out of the volition of our heart, It's something out of our own want to. God, he's not extracting it. God's not getting a hold of his collar and saying, hey, I want 10% of everything. God's not even suggesting this. Same as Abraham. When Abraham had this encounter where God rescued him from the, the, the five biker gangs who had stolen everything, he wanted to tithe. You know, let me just stop here for a second. If you don't want to give to God, through our means, through this church, don't. If it's not in your heart, if it doesn't bring pleasure, if, it, if you're not doing it for his, to honor him, and because he's been so good to you and he's blessed you so squarely and it makes you want to give back to him, if that's not your heart, don't give. We're not interested in your money. We want your heart. We want, we want your response. We want you to live this way. We want you to, to experience the give and take between you and God. It's wonderful. It's freeing. <laughs> it's a beautiful experience. And right away, he decided, that's it. If you're going to be with me, if you're going to feed me, you're going to clothe me, you're going to protect me, you're going to bring me back home. 10% of everything I have is yours. It has to come out of that kind of heart. Otherwise, I'm not interested in it. I remember, I remember discovering tithing. One of the first thing I call it tithing. One of the first things I wanted to do was give. I remember coming home and telling Heather, let's just give everything we have away to the poor. And she said, no, we can't. We just, we just you know, newlyweds, we just bought used furniture. I wanted to give everything away because grace poured in. And his most natural response is to want him pour out again. Wow. God wants to change him. He wants to go on this journey. And and this was brought out in our conference this week that one of the ways that God decided to work at that character issue of doing anything to get ahead is he brought him to a place where he met a guy named Laban, distant relative of his, on his mother's side. And uh, <laughs> Laban, he's, he's a used car salesman. He's a, he's a junk dealer. He's, he's got a crap game going on in the corner. He, he will do anything to get ahead. Laban is as crooked as they come. And, and Laban becomes his father-in-law and his boss. And for 20 years... He's under the thumb and under the influence. And he starts seeing Laban-ish stuff happen. Laban did this. Laban, we made a deal for my wages, what my wages would be. And, and Laban changed them. I think, about 10 times. Just kept flipping back and forth. Because Laban would do anything to get ahead. Can we just pa- pause this for a second? What is it that people around you that are doing that drives you Crazy that you can't stand, that just irks you so much. What if we step back from that and say, God, what are you after in me? (laughs) What is it in me that you want to change? He can use anybody. He can use anybody. What drives you crazy these days? What is it that you see in people around you, and you hate it, you despise it, you wish, and you even speak out against it and say, kind of like, kind of like Newman? <laughs> you know, <where> <laughs> that guy just bugs me. Well, what if God's trying to change your name? What if He gives you a taste of your own medicine so much that you hate it? You hate it in them, you hate it in you. And you submit to this process of, of surrender, uh, saying, oh, God. Started off praying, oh, God, change him. and Then you end up praying, oh, God, change me. It's not an accident that he had Laban as his boss, and he couldn't get away. Uh, the whole story, the whole Laban story is just amazing. And when Laban tries to get him back and put him back in the bondage and servitude and take advantage of him one more time. God stops Laban in a dream. I said, hey, 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 what are you doing? What are you, you, don't even say a word to this guy. Don't even speak because I'll take you out. <laughs> I brought you in this world. I can take you out. An amazing story. I mean, he was going to bring it back under that whole curse. And God stepped in spoke to him, spoke to him in a dream, Genesis 31, 24. Genesis 31, 36 talks about him changing his wages. And the thing I love about the story of Jacob that's different than the story of Abraham and Isaac is these clear encounters with God, that God keeps coming and keeps showing himself to him, he keeps manifesting himself to him. I know there's an emphasis of us pursuing God. We sing about it. We, 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 that's our language. And there's nothing wrong with that. Don't, don't mean to discount that in any way. Except the times that God has come to me, and has met me, it wasn't because I prayed and it wasn't because all my ducks were in a row, and it wasn't because I did anything right. It's just the goodness of God, where he shows up, and he shows me how good he is, and it melts me. I've had numerous encounters where there's no way that I warranted any of it. There's no way that I was good enough in that in that season that uh, hadn't been fasting enough, hadn't been praying enough, hadn't been doing all the right th- kinds of things to warrant it. He just came. Let's finish the story with this part. And uh, we heard about it a little bit this week. But I love the story. And I, I just f- feel it's a good story for us to rehearse. Jacob loves his kids. He's got 12 of them. Loves his wife. He's Two wives. He's a boss. He's got a business. He's got employees. He's got cattle, vast, vast herds of it. And the best way, because he's a sharp guy, the best thing he could do is if I'll separate them, I'll, I'll, I'll hide some over here in this vale, in this valley. And if I'm attacked this way, maybe they'll be preserved and. I, you know, I, I'm going to lose something, so I'm going I'm to divide it out so that I don't lose everything. Imagine having kids and you want to protect them. you got a brother whose last words you heard were, if I see you again, I will kill you. And he, now he's going toward the brother. And he spends all afternoon and into the evening putting things away that he loves and he cares about to preserve it, to protect it. And even though you got a promise, we're human. Even though we got a promise, we still feel responsible to do what we can do. And so he does that. And the sun sets, and he comes around, comes around maybe behind a, a rock, and there in the moonlight is a man. They could hardly make him out. And it doesn't say which of them did it, but Jacob's been a wrestler in the womb. He was a wrestler in the womb. They wrestled in the womb. I think it was him, but it could have been the man. But one of them went into a wrestling posture. One of them moved. One of them got down to grapple, and the other, it just set the other off. And next thing you know, like two... Goats, they're running into each other. You could hear them hitting, grunting, throwing each other down to the ground, and then, and for it says throughout the entire night, till sun ca- till the sun came up, they wrestled. Can you imagine how how red and the big welts and bruises and and rolling in the sand and the sand pressing against your skin, and your clothes eventually being taken off and and you've just it's one one maneuver after another it's one hold after another it's one t- on top and then the next you know he's on the bottom it's it's them getting up again and running into each other it's a, uh, my son my middle son wrestled in 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 school and um, he was a great wrestler and, and my wife and I would go watch him it was exhausting going there to watch him and and heather would be wrestling me uh, because the boy's wrestling our son, and she'd be get the hold of me, and we saw other parents all twisted up, all gnarled, because they were wrestling within for their children who were wrestling. You hated to see them wrestle, but you wanted them to win. You wanted them to develop in character. But Heather would come home just absolutely exhausted, and me too from all the... Her pulling on me and her being all tense. I can picture this wrestling match, and it goes on and on and on, Wrestling all night long and as the sun is starting to peak Jacob's on the bottom they're both sore muscles aching red welts bruises, sand rubbed into those abrasions perspiring half naked Jacob looks up into the face of this man. He's been wrestling with him all night. And finally, there are no introductions at the beginning of the evening, but finally he says, what's your name? And he says, my name is Deceiver. My name is, I'll, I'll do anything to get ahead. He says, not anymore. From now on, your name is... You're a prince with God. You have authority with God. And it was an amazing moment. I could see him not just saying it, but communicating it with his eyes and his smile and his favor and his face. And it just so melted Jacob. He said, what's your name? And he wouldn't participate in that. But what an amazing moment that must have been to find out that you're beloved and that your name has just been changed. Your future has been altered. There's been a, a mark, a line where you've been this way, but now you're this way. It's like being born again. It's like having an, an experience with God. In fact, he laid there. The guy got up and, and walked off into the sunset. And Jacob is just panting and perspiring, and he's just laying there. And he says to himself, he says, oh, I've seen the face of God. I've seen the face of God, and, I, and I've lived. I think it was Jesus. I think it was Jesus that he was wrestling with. I don't think it was an angel. I think it was Jesus. Jesus appeared many times, it seems like, in the Old Testament before he was. Pre-incarnation, incarnation accounts of Jesus. I, I can picture I can picture my Jesus wrestling with Jacob. I can I can picture that kind of experience, and all of a sudden it just dawns on them. I, I've, i I've, I've seen favor. I've just been blessed. There's a psalm uh, where it's, uh, it's a prophecy, actually a prophecy that Moses gave, but it's recorded in the psalms, and it talks about it talks about being full with the favor of God and His blessing satisfied with his blessing I want you, I want you to live in a way and walk in a way and experience God in a way that you can walk around with a sense of his favor, full of his favor and, and satisfied with his blessing there's nothing like it the choicest parts of this life are, are experiencing his blessing and his favor let's stand together I encourage you, if you can meditate on these stories, Genesis, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then so many other things in the Bible will become relevant because it keeps coming up. He keeps pointing back to these three men. Everything is measured by his experiences with these three men, including our relationship with him. Right where you're standing, could you just say, Lord, what you did in them, do in me. I want to know you. I want to walk by faith. Take me places I've never been. Take me places spiritually I've never experienced before. I want to know you. I want you to change my name and change my walk. Changed my nature. Jesus, you showed yourself to these men. They were ordinary men. They had issues. Visit me. Visit me. Manifest yourself to me. Come into my now. Bless me. I will not let you go until you bless me. I want your blessing. I want your favor. I want your smile. I've lived for myself. But now because of you, I live for you. I'm a giver. I'm committed to this way of living. Now if that's your prayer, if that prayer sounds like your heart, say amen to it. It's no different than if you prayed it. It's no different than if you made it up. Say amen to us. Say, Lord, that's my prayer. That's that's the prayer of my heart. Change my walk. Change my ways. Give me an abundance of revelation into who you are. I want to know you. Amen. One of the last pictures of Jacob is he's this little shrunken, wrinkly old man. And Joseph has gone gone back and picked him up and brought him on this cart and brought him to Egypt. And Israel, his name is Israel. Israel walks into the courts of Pharaoh. And this little shepherd man walks in and says, Can I bless you? And oh, Pharaoh, Pharaoh said, Absolutely. And I, he steps up and he does, he does a wellspring kind of thing. He lays his hands on him and he prophesies, that he blesses him because he's full of it. He's full of the blessing of the Lord. But what a great way to end his whole life where he's walking in the courts of kings with something to give away, something that'll make a difference, something that could be extended. And that's that blessing. Amen. I love it. I love the story. You can tell. God bless you. Happy Valentine's Day. Be blessed.